This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to the game of two halves. I'm ST Sports editor Lee Yulin, and with me are sports correspondents Sazali Abdul Aziz and David Lee. Today we have a special guest, and we will also be joined by national basketball player Delvin Go via phone, and he will tell us all about the Kobe effect. Hi everyone, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Yulin. Not the best scenario to be doing a podcast, unfortunately. Yeah, some sad news to kick off this Chinese New Year. Yes, it was a dramatic Lunar New Year in sport, and I also have to confess that there was no joy for me in it. You know, on Monday morning there was terrible news out of California with NBA legend Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter dying in a helicopter crash. And at home, a debate erupted in school sports when one school thrashed another 32-0 in a B Division football game. Now let's talk basketball first. David, your thoughts on the Kobe tragedy? The Grammy Awards honoured his memory and just hours after he died. And of course, there have been loads of tributes from not just sports stars, but also celebrities in other fields and from presidents to regular fans. Now, why is that? What did Kobe Bryant do that made him so beloved? Okay, first of all, I think uh, the news is shocking because Kobe was in the prime of his life. He's only 41. He finished his playing career in 2016 and is only starting to dabble with coaching in recent years. You know, this was not a case of someone who lapsed into alcoholism, drugs or depression, you know, like Amy Winehouse or Kurt Cobain, who also tragically died in the prime of their lives, even at a younger age. You know, so who knows if Kobe could have been an NBA winning coach. It seemed that there was so much ahead of him left to accomplish in his career and his life. Same goes with his daughter who was, you know, we've been reading a lot about Kobe and his, his daughter. His daughter is apparently a fantastic player in her own right. And, you know, she could have been a trailblazer for women's basketball in, in some way. So, yeah, I think especially what you mentioned about this, there being so much more yet to accomplish, I think that also applies to his daughter. I think it's just very sad because he spent almost his entire life being so obsessed about being the best basketballer he could be. And, you know, now after retiring just four years ago, he can finally have some downtime and, and family time with his uh, wife and beautiful daughters. And this has to happen, you know. I just think it's very tragic. Yeah, so you just mentioned that, you know, he was focused on being the best basketballer he could be. Is that something that local athletes can take from? Kobe was obviously a rare talent from a young age, but there are so many of these kids with the potential in the United States and tons of them don't make it. Probably here in Singapore, there are also kids with talent, but not to such a great extent. So what people tend to overlook is that the failures Kobe overcame to get there. And I think these are some lessons that probably kids all over the world, not just in Singapore, you know, uh, across all sports, they can learn from. Yeah, we are obviously friends on social media with a lot of sportsmen and women, not only in basketball, but other sports. And I think the outpouring of grief and the effect Kobe had on all our athletes, you know, all the local athletes we've met and interviewed, I think it was quite clear what he meant. You know, I think he sort of represented excellence, you know, and that, you know, desire to be the best, as you mentioned, Yulin. And, and I think, you know, Tiger Woods summed it up, you know, what he admires most about Kobe was that fire, that drive that he had. And even for me, you know, I'm not a, a huge basketball fan. I saw Kobe and I thought, you know, oh, he has that swagger, that attitude that he wants to be the best. And I guess that's what rubs off on people sometimes. Yeah, so for me, I think we can go to Google or, or YouTube to pour over his stats, you know, his amazing stats and five NBA rings. But for me, the stories that stand out are actually his failures, you know. When in high school, his first year as a freshman, he had a losing record, just four wins and 20 losses. When he went on to play in the NBA in, I think, his second season in 1997, playing in the Western Conference semi-final against Utah Jazz, the Lakers lost 4-1. He made 
four airballs. That's almost criminal by NBA standards. Almost comical. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. you know. And then there was the feud with Shaquille O'Neal. You know, it was not just about playing the best basketball he could. You know, people say that he was selfish in the initial part yeah. of his career. And then here you had this not just a giant of a man, but also another massive ego in Shaquille O'Neal, which you have to negotiate. And and eventually, you know, even Shaquille O'Neal, even a big personality like Shaquille O'Neal, was won over by Kobe Bryant's drive and pursuit of excellence. You know, his black mamba attitude and mentality. So I, I think looking beyond his stats and accomplishments is this relentless fighting spirit that impressed and left such a indelible impression on, on players and fans around the world. So David, I understand also that Kobe also had an effect on uh, some Singaporean players here in 2009 when he visited Singapore. And I think Delvin Goh is uh, joining us from a phone call yep, that's uh, right. yep. uh, to, to tell us about this. Delvin, welcome to the show. And for those of you who are not uh, familiar with Delvin Go, he is a national basketball player as well as a member of the Singapore Slingers. Now, Delvin, mm-hmm. I understand that you had the privilege of actually meeting Kobe Bryant. Uh, can you tell us about it? Well, actually, back in 2009, he came to Singapore in the indoor stadium. Actually, I didn't get a chance to actually go down and train with him. But uh, I was actually in the spectator stand, you know, among all the crowd that's there. But then in 2011, he came back to Singapore and then he came up to MBS and we have a basketball clinic conducted by him right on top of MBS. And I remember him, you know, walking in, you know, giving us all a high five. A really friendly, nice and humble guy. You know, he joked with us, you know, he shoot with us and he did punishment with us. And I remember clearly that he said during a drill, a shooting drill, and he said, it's okay to miss a shot. You're not going to make every shot. But never stop shooting. So that's what he said. And it's really a nice time you know, to meet your idols, especially when I was like that young. How old were you then, Delvin? I was 15 or 16. All just right. 15 or 16, you know, yeah, just fresh from basketball and, you know, really a big fan of him. So can you tell us, was there a specific effect that Kobe had on you besides that advice about shooting? I started playing basketball pretty much because of him. Because I was just starting getting interested about basketball and, um, when I was nine years old. And I didn't know much about basketball until, you know, I went back home, you know, to watch games, documentaries, and study what to do it on and off the court. Because at that point in time, I think, like, it's one of the best players there. Just go in and watch him on YouTube and all that. And I um, remember him, you know, losing to the Celtics in the finals back in 2008. He was so pissed. And it brings me to my last year's ABL finals as well. And I think... I would say that, you know, we felt the same way. Like, we were pissed about, you know, losing the finals. And then, I like his mum mum mentality, you know, he's never giving up spirit, his work ethic. It's just great to have someone, you know, that's just there, you know, to show people that, you know, hard work really can make many things happen. And he, he did it, and he's the icon of basketball on and off the court. So, he's, of course, one of the greatest of all time, and uh, he's still... You know, I still still watch his videos now and then. And it's such a pity, you know, for someone you know, that of his level, you know, to be passing away like that. And you know, I'm definitely really very sad when I hear about the news in the morning. And you know, I just hear the beat because it has so much impact in my basketball career. Uh, without him, I wouldn't be here having my singers and my basketball career. I I understand from David, you actually took on his name Mamba as well as a nickname. Oh, actually, no. I actually, I'm using his wallpaper, and he got this quote from an interview back uh, in 20, 2010. He said, when the, when the reporter asked him, are you happy with that opportunity? But he said, no, 
the opportunity is not something that makes me happy. It's winning and taking advantage of the opportunity that makes me happy. The buzzer goes off and we are not victorious. Am I thankful for the opportunity? He said, no. So uh, that's, that's one of the motivations that keeps me going. And I use the wallpaper with that quote till now. So it's really been part of my life. And uh, I use the Brian name for my Facebook account because of him. And I have my number 24 for many years. So because of him. Right, I see. Well, thank you for that, Delvin. Uh, Thank you for your time and thank you for joining us with that very touching story. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Now, if you like Game of Two Halves, you can listen live on Money FM 89.3 from 5pm every Monday. Or you can subscribe to Game of Two Halves on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. Like us and give us a rating. Now to the second half of our show. Last Monday, the Singapore Sports School walloped Assumption Pathway School 32-0 in a school's B Division B boys match. Now this means that on average, a goal was scored every two and a half minutes in this 80-minute match. Now the news obviously sparked concern among parents and seasoned observers and I would even say indignation. Now Sazali, you wrote the story about this incident. What were people telling you? Yeah, I think it was quite universal. You know, everybody was in agreement that, you know, especially at schools level, this kind of lopsided score should not happen. Uh, so many um, drawbacks to having a scoreline like this. You know, one is obviously the losing team would be hugely demoralised and, and affected. And obviously this was a B division tournament, so the players are, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. So it could be very difficult for them to bounce back from. It's also not good for the winners because clearly they did not have to exert themselves way above what they're capable of. So there was no intensity in their win. So the argument is they won't develop as, as footballers as well. Uh, and, you know, there were also some who say that, you know, this could shake certain schools' faith in having football as a CCA because, you know, not every school has football as a CCA. Some are just starting out, some are not very strong and a lot of times schools don't offer football or, or, or in some other sport as a CCA because they feel it's not worth the resources, they, they won't perform in it. So getting hammered 32-0, it obviously doesn't make a good case for having the sport. So yeah, a, a lot of drawbacks and you know basically it's not a good thing to have and I, I just feel sorry for both, like I mentioned, the winning team and the losing team. The winning team as well because they can only beat the team that's put in front of them and unfortunately the team that was put in front of them was uh, Assumption Pathway School who they tried their best but the gulf was clear and unfortunately it ended 32-0. I think the halftime score was 20-0. Yeah, it was. Right. Could or should the coach have told of the sports school, should, could he or should he have told um, his players, hey, play the game but stop scoring? I disagree with that. You know, I, I feel to tell a, a team that's comfortably winning a game to hold back, I think that's actually more disrespectful to the losing team. You know, and the losing boys, like I said, you know, they, both teams, I would say the APS boys actually strive harder from all accounts, strive, strive harder in that game. Then the sports school boys, unfortunately, the gulf, like I said, in quality was just that much different. You know, the sports school boys obviously have a lot of better resources at their disposal. They train more often. They live in a boarding facility. So they're surrounded by football all the time. APS probably doesn't train six times a week and get the kind of exposure the sports school boys do. So uh, I think it would be actually worse off if a coach instructs the players to hold back. What, what I know was the coach set conditions, you know, because he knew this was a, almost a given win. Mm. He sort of set conditions, you know, two touches, can only score with low crosses, that sort of thing. And from what I understand, he played not his best team in this game. And like I said, unfortunately, the gap it was just so big in quality that, you know, the scoreline was such. Okay, so could this have been avoided? Yeah, absolutely. I think it could have and it should have been avoided also because I think Alexander Durick put it within two sentences very succinctly. He said, sports school, every year, 
they are expected to be and they are one of the top football teams in the national schools competition so why do they have to play a preliminary round game where they have the chance of unfortunately facing one of probably the weakest teams in APS and and like I was looking through all the high scoring games in the last 4 years and all but one of them that ran into double digits were in the preliminary round where where there's a huge mismatch so yeah I think some sort of seeding maybe the previous years semi-finalists could be given a buy into the main competition I think that would probably reduce the number of these lopsided scores by a lot Did you talk to anybody whether a parent or even a sport psychologist or someone who is an educationist who could tell you roughly you know how damaging is being on the receiving end of this kind of result whether it's football or any other sport Yeah interestingly I received a, an email from a, a teacher so she's a teacher at a neighborhood school who happens to be a, a CCA in charge for football for her school and she says she has only a cursory understanding of the sport so for her she looked at the 32-0 result in a way where she was concerned for you know like you mentioned you know the well-being of the boys who lost you know how they're going to bounce back and you know obviously young boys confidence would be a huge issue and and if you go into the field you try your best and you get hammered 32-0 damage could be irreparable maybe uh, so i haven't spoken to a sports psychologist or, or anyone who has expertise in that field but yeah certainly if a, a teacher an educator who works around children this age or, or boys this age uh, raises such concerns i think they should be looked at okay david you want to add anything so i know we're talking about kids here secondary school level but is there no benefit from having a weak team playing against a very strong team you know we we get to see that at senior level you know some people say that's the beauty of the FA Cup you know where where non league teams play against powerhouses like Liverpool chances are they'll get a walloping but is there any positives yeah but uh, okay first of all i think at professional or, or semi professional or elite level where training is more structured all this maybe you you suffer a heavy defeat rubbing shoulders against like you said Liverpool or something like that maybe that the improvement could be more clearly seen But for schoolboys it's a bit tougher to see that improvement or impact on on their game but uh, you know one of the coaches I spoke to he took a school who traditionally were not strong in football they got beaten 21 by a school that was traditionally strong and you know he addressed the imbalance in resources that his team had and the other team had the other secondary school even went to Valencia to prepare for the national schools competition which is pretty insane and the next year they went up to B division and they won for the first time in the school's history they won a match <laughs> for the first time in the school's history so and they advanced to the next stage uh, two years later right i think yeah which school was this that bounced back yeah it was uh, the school of science and technology i think it's a new school they competed in the west zone and they were beaten 21 by crest secondary which was then coached by tuari paizan who used to coach Tanjung Pagar in the S League. So, uh, you know, obviously they have a, a very experienced coach. They they had a very good preparation. And, you know, SST managed to rebound and use this defeat as a learning tool for them to pick up their first win the next year. Well, that's good news. Let's see. I think there's more to be said about this, but perhaps we can explore it later. Well, there goes the final whistle for our sports discussion of the week. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. Do listen to us on Game of Two Halves or live on Money FM 89.3 from 5 p.m. every Monday. Or you can subscribe to Game of Two Halves on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at the Straits Times and the Business Times online.